Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 77 for me. We are talking about miracles. Wanted to kick off that highlight video of uh, uh, the greatest miracle of all is to change life. And the, the next few weeks, three weeks, we're gonna have uh, different miracle stories and just to build our faith because I believe that God's working in us and through us to perform miracles in our hearts and lives. And, and I, can I just say that we all probably need a miracle, amen? We, we just need God to move and intervene on our behalf, and I'm so thankful that God still does that today. And if you're new here to Tree of Life and you're wondering what we believe, we believe God does miracles today, amen? And so we trust him, we take him at his word. And so we're always just trying to position ourselves to be in the will and purposes of God. We're asking God to perform his word in our hearts and lives all the time. Uh, as you saw in the announcements, just to let you know, there's still time if you're interested in the uh, missions trip. Uh, we're gonna have a meeting today. If not, contact us, it's still not too late to go, but it's getting close to that. Um, speaking of miracles, I was texting my brother this morning, Pastor Jeff, as he was getting ready for service, and I remember him telling me a story in January. He told me that, uh, and I just want to double check my facts, so I texted him, and he texted me back, and he said at the end of January, they had some meetings where they laid hands on people, and they were just believing God for miracles like we are, and he said he had a lady come, uh, the, one of their meetings that had lo- completely lost her sight a year ago, completely, uh, totally had to be assisted by people to walk, do anything, and he said she came that night, they prayed for her, and her sight came back after a year of being completely gone. Amen? That's awesome. God's doing miracles, amen? I love that. And we want to invite everyone out. If you were here uh, for the first time last week, this week, or new to Tree of Life, uh, tonight's our guest cookout. The weather's going to be spectacular, so come on out with your family and have some fun if you're new to Tree of Life, and let us get a chance to meet you, give you a tour of the facilities, and just share our heart and mission here at Tree of Life. So come on out and bring somebody with you. All right, so we are, initially, this was going to be our launch into our new series, but we really looked at miracles last week, the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of Easter, and getting ready for um, just anything and everything God wants. We, we believe that God, again, is doing miracles, and we want believe for the supernatural, amen? We, we want to see him moving, and nothing trumps a miracle. And the world has a, a lot to say today in their own minds and reasonings about who God is or who he used to be, but no one can dispute a miracle, and God is in the miracle-working business. And so we're going to continue to build our faith and see God do things in our heart and lives these next few weeks. Psalm 77, 14, the Living Bible Translation says, you are, say you are. <clears throat> that is present tense, right? That's happening now. You are right now, right here, the God of miracles and wonders. You demonstrate you're working. You didn't quit working. You're still working every day, all day, in everything, in anything, your awesome power. How many of you know God has not run out of power? How many know he is the power, right? He's got the power. <laughs> anyway, so, okay. I, wasn't, I sang last week. I wasn't going to sing this week. Okay. You can sing that one. Uh, so, uh, God has power. He is power. It is unlimited. And he is still moving and working and intervening in lives today. Uh, today, we're going to look at the miracle of uh, calming the storm, how Jesus calmed the storm. I love, actually love that story. It's one of my favorites because in leading into the rest of our miracles, here's what we know. Here, here's what we know. God does miracles today. And so we've all found our place in need of a miracle, but we probably haven't necessarily always received our miracle. Just, just be honest. And I'm not going to dig into all the what's, why's, where's, and how's, but here's what I know. It's a lot of times we struggle with doubt. We'll see God doing something in somebody's life. I, I've um, been in the ministry for a long time, and I've prayed for people that have instantly received miracles. Uh, I've prayed with people that hearing has come back. I, I remember very vividly one time, 
I prayed for a lady uh, that came in on a walker and could barely walk, and we, we laid hands on her, and then she was walking. She was actually running across the front of the auditorium and left her walker behind. I, I may have seen all that, but, but, but I prayed for people then in the hospital, and they died. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've done that. I've, I've extended my faith, and, and I've asked God to move and work according to his word, and I don't have an answer to the rhyme or reason of it all, but here's what I know. God is a miracle-working God, amen? And our hope is in heaven, and I'm always gonna believe the word. I'm always gonna have my faith out there. But let's just be honest, we struggle with doubt from time to time because we wonder why not in my life we celebrate what God's doing. And isn't it true that sometimes it seems easier to believe with somebody else for their miracle than our own? I mean, it's like we're lay hands on people. We can line people up. We can lay hands in accordance with the word of God. We believe that here at Tree of Life, you shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. We can uh, ask God to move and work in their life and our obedience to the word is an expression of our faith. We can do all that kind of stuff, but then we can go home and lay in our own infirmity and just like, God, how come? Where are you at? And so we wrestle sometimes with doubt, and I want to talk about that today because in order to, for us, I really think to get a grasp of positioning ourselves for the miraculous, I, I think we have to deal with this issue of doubt. And so here's a story I think really gives us some great insight on that. And so uh, you can look at Mark 4, verse 35, Mark 4, 35. It's when Jesus uh, finished praying for a bunch of people. The Bible says everybody he prayed for got healed told his disciples, let's go to the other side. He obviously had a mission, a purpose on the other side, people to minister to. He always did things with uh, a purpose. And so he said, let's go to the other side. As they do, as, as you'll remember the story, if not, we'll share it. A big storm comes up in the middle of the lake, in the middle of uh, the Sea of Galilee, rather, and their waves are blowing and the waves are beating on the boat and filling it with water and wind's blowing and they become fearful and they think they're gonna, life's gonna end and Jesus intervenes on their behalf. Uh, understand that where they're at, the Sea of Galilee, my understanding is that uh, the way it uh, sets down kind of in this valley, that storms just come up in a moment and just blow in and blow out at any moment in time. And that's just like real life, isn't it? In fact, don't they say that here in Texas, if you don't like the weather, wait an hour, it'll change. <laughs> you know that storms come and just blow right through in a minute. And so it's kind of like life. Storms come unexpectedly. And, and in fact, we probably all are in need of a miracle and some desperately in need of a miracle and some because of our own choices and some because of circumstances beyond our choosing. And just all of a sudden, something happened in life and in order for you to need a miracle, there has to be a storm. And so and Jesus intervenes and calms the storm. And so let's start reading the story. Here's what it says in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him and, he, and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Great story. I feel bad for the disciples, honestly, in the story, though, because I've taught it in a certain way, and I, people teach it all the time, like they're just rebuked. What's wrong with you? Don't you have any faith? What's your problem, right? I made them following Jesus. They're in, they're in the same boat with Jesus, and we all say, hey, Jesus is in your boat. Nothing's gonna happen to you, and yet they're dealing with a storm. 
Jesus obviously is pretty comfortable, pretty confident. He's not really concerned with what's going on around about him. But the disciples are all in panic mode and they're faced with a storm. And, and then this exchange to me is really interesting because they had to be contemplating their life with each other. And it says the disciples. It doesn't say a disciple. It says the disciples. It might have been two to make it plural. It might have been all 12 of them go to Jesus and wake him up. And then we think that's like, that's like a bad thing. Can I just say it's never bad to wake Jesus up can I just say that? Because he says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things. It's nice to have Jesus awake and intervening on your behalf, amen? amen? And so all of a sudden, Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and he asks him two questions, which are very, very powerful. Really helps us understand, I think, really, what he's trying to convey in this story. The first thing he says, why are you afraid? He says, what's, what's going on? In other words, Jesus might say it this way, what are you worried about? And they'd be like, that's the storm. I mean, you waded to the front of the boat in waist deep water. I mean, we're in the middle of an ocean and all this is coming and happening. The wind is blowing. I mean, it's pretty obvious. And, and he's really saying, what, what do you have to be afraid about? I don't, what, God, seriously, guys, what do you have to be afraid about? And then he asks some, uh, he goes, where do you still have no faith? And really what that says to me is this, that in the uh, presence of fear, there's an absence of faith. And so if there's fear present, as he acknowledges that you're afraid of something, then he says, well, you still don't have any faith. So in, the, in, in the presence of fear, there's an absence of faith. But really, what I think Jesus ultimately is getting at, we'll get there in just a second, he says, you don't really have to be concerned about the storm. You don't have to necessarily be overwhelmed or concerned about the situation. Now, there's things that we have to be aware of, but he says, what the greater concern is, where are you at with fear? Would that, would that be a fair thing to say? Because obviously then, in the presence of fear is an absence of faith. So the storms that come in life that the enemy sends our way are just happen because we live in a fallen world and storms come. Not necessarily, they are not necessarily, now let me explain this for a moment. They're not necessarily our enemy, faith is. I mean, fear is, faith's our friend. Fear is our enemy. The purpose of a storm in your life is to get you focused so you get in fear. Now, I don't believe that fear is the opposite of faith, having said that. I, I think the opposite of fear is courage. I mean, I looked it up, <laughs> and it is, okay. And, I, <laughs> and so a lot of times we'll preach fear is the opposite of faith, faith is the opposite of fear. I believe they're mortal enemies. But if you have fear, then you have an absence of courage, which is the opposite. So if, what is the opposite then of faith? Doubt. Well, let's take a look at this in verse 38. So what's really the issue here? When we're believing for a miracle and we're believing God is the God of miracles, what is really our struggle? Is it the storm that we face? Is it the fear that the storm brings that we focus on? Jesus said this, teach, I mean, they said this to Jesus, rather, the disciples said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now think about that for a moment because I really think this is maybe the most powerful part of this passage of scripture because really it wasn't the storm that they were so much concerned about. It was they were focused on the storm which brought them fear, which fear not dealt with properly will lead you to doubt and it won't lead you to doubt. Can God do a miracle? It'll make you question or doubt. Will he do one for me? Come on, the storms that happen in your life bring fear, and if you don't deal with the fear, the, the, what rides along with fear is doubt. And if you don't deal with fear properly, what'll happen is that doubt will drop into your heart, and now all of a sudden, you're, now you're questioning, does Jesus even care about me anymore? 
Because I don't think anybody in this room would really, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just assuming, but I don't think anybody in this room would ever question the fact that God can do the miraculous. Nobody in here would question, can God do the impossible? Nobody in here would question, is anything too difficult for God? I mean, in fact, he created the heavens and earth. Nothing is too difficult for him. But what would it look like if we went and asked everybody, do you ever question if he'll do it for you? And isn't that really the basis of our faith? I mean, really, if you peel faith away and you peel all the layers of faith away and you get down to the root in its simplest, most basic form, I believe, faith is the belief that God loves you. I think we reverse it and I think our faith is, we think our faith is based on how much we love God. And we live our life trying to love God more so we can get more out of God or we're in crisis so we're gonna try and love God more instead of resting in the fact, if you will, reminding ourselves, solidifying within us the fact that God loves you. He'll never love you more than he loves you right now. He is love. And he loves us so much that he gave us everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's no way that God could ever love you more. The question is, do you believe that? And I think ultimately what the disciples are wrestling with here, not as the fear for their life in a sense of the storm overwhelming him, it it is, do you, don't don't you care? Jesus. Can I tell you that as a pastor and and having the opportunity to minister to people in in really difficult times, um, bad reports, loss, all kinds of things, can can I tell you that ultimately in sitting down with countless families over the years, and talking through things, and I'm, I'm, I'm faced with so many questions they're just not answers for. I just, I can't answer why it turned out that way. I can't answer why they got the diagnosis. I can't, I can't answer why they were at that place with that person. I, I can't answer why that this person didn't stop at the red light. I, I can't, there's so many things I cannot answer, and the, and, and the questions are numerous, and, but everything as they, as they process, eventually it comes down to this fact, doesn't he care? And I can't answer the hows, what, where's, why's, when's, but here's what I do. I can answer that. Yes, he cares. He loves you. He loves you so much. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this report. I don't know why family history this. I don't know why this person this. But I do know that he loves you. In life, we face so many questions there are not answers to. And that we'll only get one day in heaven But you know what? The most important question in life, there is a positive, absolutely clear-cut answer, is yes, he loves you. And our life is based on that. And so therefore, wouldn't it be true the more that we settle the fact that he loves us, the more that we dive into reading how much, the more we hear how much he loves us, the more we enter into places where we feel the tangible love of God, the more we're in a life group and they're talking to us about how much God loves us, the more that we're in a worship service where we, where we just feel the love of God just cover us like a blanket, the more that we're reading the Bible stories and how much, isn't it just true Then those things are build our faith? And so therefore, in the presence of faith is the absence of doubt. And then courage, right? Courage for what? Courage to keep going. Courage to keep going no matter the storm. Courage to keep going no matter the bad report. Courage to keep going no matter how the marriage looks. Courage to keep going no matter what your kids are doing. Courage to keep going no matter what your bank account looks like because if you settle the fact that he loves me, then wind blow and waves beat against my boat. I don't know how this is gonna get out. I don't know how I'm gonna get around this, but I know this, he loves me and either my answer will come on this earth, but I know my name is written in heaven and at the very least, the greatest victory of all is there for me and secure. 
So when we're looking for our miracle and we don't have answers and there aren't any good answers most of the time, here's what we can know without a shadow of a doubt, if you will, in our heart, that Jesus loves us no matter what. No matter how this comes about, no matter what happens, here's what I know, he loves me. I'll leave the outcome up to him. And I'll trust him with that, no matter what. But I believe he loves me. And I think that the story is, really helps you and I see something very powerful in our life that maybe we take for granted or overlook because of how fierce the wind blows, how strong the waves are, because they're so demanding. They, they demand our focus and attention. They're so noisy. It's like, how can you ever block that out? But yet, I think there's ways that we can find here that we can maintain that belief in our heart that he does love me no matter what, especially when I don't understand what's going on around about me. I know he loves me. And it's interesting to me that the disciples were asking the question, don't you care if we drown? Basically, they're saying, hey, what if my life ends here? Now, I know that they are walking with Jesus, so in one sense, it's like they don't really uh, have the benefit to look back on the scripture 2,000 years ago. And I, and I think it's interesting, I think the disciples get such a bad rap here, and we, 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 you know, we, we chastise them or scold them or whatever, but the disciples had been walking with Jesus for a few years, so they'd seen some miracles. And Jesus did miracles, he's still doing it today in our hearts and our lives. And so it's interesting because the miracles that they saw were things like Jesus laid hands on people and they were healed. I mean, everyone was healed, right? It looks like the, the meeting he just had, everyone was healed, the Bible says. Then they got in the boat. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw a widow woman's son had died and Jesus raised the dead. They, they saw him cast out devils. They, they saw him, demonic spirits would come out at, and he just would speak to them and they, they would come and he, he would preach amazing revelatory words about forgiveness and love and encourage people's hearts, but they never saw him deal with the weather. And if I'm in the boat with the disciples and all of a sudden a storm comes up and I'm trying, now I'm replaying in my mind, okay, let's see, uh, what did we do? We saw this. I don't know how to lay hands on a storm. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. And isn't it true in the world that we live in today that we face storms all the time we've never faced before? And if our faith and belief is based on our previous or past experiences, we're in big trouble. Because today, as opposed to 50 years ago, we're facing things they didn't face 50 years ago. I remember telling my, great, my grandparents and my great-grandparents that the, that the situations like divorce, that, that wasn't the issue that it is today. And they didn't face some of that. Uh, dealing with kids, violent kids. They, you know why they didn't deal with violent kids back in that day? Well, number one, they spanked them. <laughs> okay. All right, it's another sermon. <laughs> Number two, they didn't have all the violent video games and all the violent movies and all the violent TV stuff. They didn't have all that. They didn't have all that. They didn't deal with some of the things that we dealt with. There's like, uh, just, I said this first service, but watching the news, and I'm a big newsy and sports guy, so I'm looking at the Olympic report, and they've sold less than 50% of the tickets they need to sell in Brazil. Of course, because everybody's afraid of that Zika virus or whatever that is, right? That's a new disease, is it not? That's like a new disease, I mean, isn't it true that today there's all kinds of new diseases or strains or, or all kinds of this popping up everywhere? And, and, and you didn't, 50 years ago, you didn't have to worry about being at an airport in Brussels and a bomb going off. You didn't have to deal with legislation that was like, are you serious? You didn't, have, that's all my only political statement this morning. You didn't have to, it's storms 
We live in a stormy world. It's fallen and it's imperfect and we're facing storms we've never faced before. How are we gonna manage that? How are we gonna navigate that? See, because I'm not an expert on the Zuka virus. I'm not an expert on terrorism. I'm not an expert on health and well-being. I'm not an expert on marriage. I'm not an expert on, on parenting. I'm not an expert on any of those things and I don't know that I ever will be, but I can sure be an expert on how much God loves me. Let me be an expert on how much God loves me. And I'll put my time and my energy and my effort there because the more I believe in my heart and my being that God loves me, the more faith I'll walk in. And the more faith I'll walk in, the less fear will overwhelm me and therefore more courage will rise up in my heart and my soul and overcome doubt and I can move forward in the things of God. No matter how strong the winds blow and how hard the waves beat against me, he loves me. I love this story. It's a reminder to you and I that no matter what, that we can rest in the fact that God loves us because the more we believe he cares, the less doubt. The less doubt, the more faith, the more faith, the less fear, the less fear, the more courage to keep moving towards the other side that God has for us. See, fear doesn't cause you to question God's ability to perform a miracle, but his willingness to perform it for you. Because I believe fear is the vehicle doubt rides in. And ultimately, if we don't take care of fear properly, doubt will settle into our heart. And we'll question that God, does God even love us? There's many, many things that we see in the scripture, but if you really break them all down, they ultimately all go back to the fact of how much do you believe he loves you? Don't you care if we drown? You know, it's interesting to me that they were concerned about, again, their, their life. And it's interesting to me as I look at the scripture, and I understand that dynamic and based on things that we're facing and there is a fear associated with that. But for a believer who has their name written in heaven, even Paul says, oh, grave, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he wrestles with, really, it sounds like Paul would rather be in heaven than on this earth. But as long as he's on this earth, he's gonna live for Christ, but he knows this earth is but a vapor. It's almost like as he's writing from the prisons in Rome, it's almost like he's wanting the prison guards to make the decision for him. I don't know, to live here is Christ, to die is gain. You guys decide, cut my head off or not. I win either way. then I don't want to say necessarily this because I don't want this to be disrespectful anyway. But maybe for a believer who knows their names are written in heaven, fear is irrational. And I know that we face very difficult things, so please don't take that wrong. Uh, let me describe it like this. Uh, one of my daughters, I won't say who, they get mad when I use them, so you, you get a 50-50 chance of getting it right, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but one of my daughters, growing up as a kid, they were afraid of costume characters just afraid of costume characters. And we could not get her to be around costume characters. Now, that came in handy sometimes because I gotta be honest with you, I never had to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I didn't have to eat bad pizza and pay a whole lot of money. I'm just telling you, I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to spend $50 on tokens to get a $5 prize or whatever, right? I didn't have to do that. But we would take her at here at Tree. We had this, I don't know why we did. I actually kind of like it. It's a little creepy though. We had this giant pink gorilla. So a grown man and a pink gorilla costume, that's just, that scared me a little bit, I'll be honest with you. But we would take her back there and take that head off and they could see the person, she would know that person. When that head went back on, she would just scream and cry and I'm like, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's a person in a pink gorilla suit. What is an irrational fear? Fear's kind of taught, isn't it? Fear's taught, right? Because my Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. 
But what happens if we don't deal with fear, and fear is real, but if we don't deal with it properly, it'll turn into doubt and cause us to question, not can God, but will God? And so I think for you and I that we have to make sure that we're staying locked into that place that reminds us of how much God loves us. It's very important that we know that there are questions in life that will never be answered, but not the question, does he care? That was answered 2,000 years ago. John 16, says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world because I love you, because I care for you. I have overcome the world and in me you can have peace. Storms are a part of life. Maybe the wind and the waves we need to calm first are the ones inside of us. I wrote this quote down, I'm gonna read it for you. It says this, an entire ocean of water can't sink a boat unless it gets on the inside. Let me read that for you again. An entire ocean of water cannot sink a boat unless it gets on the inside. James 1, 6 through 8 says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's hard to receive anything in doubt. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You need to not be double-minded. You need to settle the fact that he can and he will, that he is powerful and he is love. You can't be double-minded in all that. You need to settle that. Do what you need to do to settle the fact that he does love you and he does care for you. You need to make sure We need to be stable in that and find our strength from the fact that he loves us. How do we turn our fear then into faith for our miracle? Let me give you two things. Number one, you need the right focus. How do I deal with this? How do I deal with this, pastor? I mean, I hear you, but man, that storm is big time and it's just consuming. Well, number one, you need to have the right focus. Our focus is hugely important. You know what you focus on, you feed. If you focus on fear, you feed that fear. If you focus on that storm, you feed that fear, and ultimately we realize it will return into doubt. If you focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, you will build and feed your faith. If you focus on how much he loves you through his word, through listening, preaching, worshiping, life groups, talking, surrounding yourself with other people who will tell you in your greatest storm that I don't know how you're gonna get out, but he loves you. Whatever you focus on, you will feed. You need to have the right focus. What we focus on, what we give our attention to grows. So focus on Jesus or focus on the fear. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 10, three through five. Here's what it says. For though we live in the world, we not wage wars the world. Goes on to say, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, storms. We demolish arguments and every pretension, worldly ideas, worldly attacks, worldly arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God or how much God loves us. And we take captive every thought, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, what we, what we see in this world today is an opportunity to focus on the arguments and claims of this world against the knowledge of God or on the knowledge of God and that he is love, he does do miracles and he loves you. And so there has never been a greater attack, I don't think, on God or belief in God than in today's world. 
And so it's easy for us to get sucked away from the fact that God loves us. So you have to focus on Jesus and who he is in your heart and in your life. You need to focus. But then it goes on to say, if you guys will keep that scripture up for a moment. It goes on to say this, to take captive every thought. Take captive every thought. Do you realize that either you take thoughts captive or they take you captive? There's no neutrality in your thought life. I mean, come on, how many times do we say, you know what, I'm just not gonna think about that anymore. Yeah, I'm like 10 seconds later, you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna think about that anymore. You know that thing I'm not thinking about? I'm not thinking about it. Honey, that thing that he said not to think about, I'm not, I hadn't thought about it all day. It's impossible. The Bible says to replace a thought with a thought. Either you take the thought captive or it takes you captive. Now that's an interesting idea to me as well because listen, my Bible says that the enemy has no power over me. He's a defeated foe. Jesus defeated him, took the keys of hell and death, and he has no power over me. In fact, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. But understand this, if I don't take my thoughts captive, my thoughts will take me captive, or can I say it this way? Because here's the proper way to say that. If I don't take my thoughts captive and I think on the wrong things, I will eventually put myself in a self-imposed captivity. The devil cannot take me captive, but if I'm not thinking on who Jesus is in my heart and my life, and I'm thinking more on the fear, and I'm feeding the fear, eventually it will bring the question, does he care? And eventually, if I don't get my answer, and the more I think about that, he doesn't. I've been waiting five years. Everybody else is getting their miracle. Obviously, he sees them more important and more valuable. I've been waiting, listen, this person, how'd this person get it? His, that guy's mean, he lives like the devil, and he got a miracle. I go to church every week. What's the deal here? If you don't take a hold of your thought life and get it on the things of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, then you will place yourself in a self-imposed captivity. And see, you'll find yourself raising hands. I surrender. I give up. He must not care. He must not care. I think that's a sad place to be because such the contrary is true. He cares more than we ever could know but here's why it's important to keep your focus on the right thing, because why do you take something captive? Why do you take something captive? You take something captive so it's no longer a threat to you. Do you realize that if you place yourself in a self-imposed captivity, your faith is no longer a threat to the devil, so you better believe he's gonna come after you with storm after storm and bring fear to try and get doubt to settle in your heart. Because if he can get you in a self-imposed captivity, you're no harm to his kingdom. You're no longer a threat to him. So you better believe he's gonna bombard you with storm after storm after storm. So we need to take those thoughts captive. So how do we do, what do we do? Philippians 4, seven through nine says this. And the peace of God, we'll come back to this scripture, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Next verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, here's what we do. We replace a thought with a thought. We take thought captive by replacing them with these thoughts. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You know what I believe they just described right there? They just described the character and attributes of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. He is right, he is admirable, he is true, he is pure, he is holy, he is righteous, he is excellent, he is praiseworthy. He's all those things and more for you and me. So, 
Either you take thoughts captive or they'll take you captive. But if you place yourself in a self-imposed captivity, those same hands that you raise up and surrender to the enemy are the same hands you can raise up and be praiseworthy about Jesus. Oh, I just put myself in the self-imposed captivity, but I'm coming out right now because I believe that you are miracle-working God. There is none like you. You are the God of the impossible. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. You are the powerful one. You are the only true and living God. And those same hands raised in surrender to the devil and a self-imposed captivity will be the same hands raised in praise to Jesus who is excellent and praiseworthy that will bring you out of that place. And it says then, God will come. Notice it didn't even say, and the peace of God will come. He doesn't just send a resource, he comes. He comes. Let's go back to the first verse there right there though. I think it was seven. And the peace of God which transcends all your understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what's interesting to me when I see this. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. What guards your heart and your mind? I thought my ability and my mental fortitude, I I thought my courage, I I thought my this or that. It's the peace of God. That's interesting to me. The peace of God is what guards my heart and my mind. The peace of God is on guard around my heart and my mind. So if I'm not focused on the right things when that storm comes and I get into fear, which fear can be said as no peace. You know why storms come? Because the enemy doesn't want you to have peace. Why? Because if you don't have peace, you do not long, no longer have a guard around your heart and your mind. How does doubt drop into our heart because of fear? Because fear comes to steal our peace. And when we have no peace guarding our heart and our mind, our doubt drops into our heart and our mind then. We believe things about God that's not true. But the moment we get back on track, it says the God of peace comes. What does he come to do? Does he come to rescue? No, you've come out of that self-imposed captivity because of your power and authority through Jesus Christ. He comes to set that guard back up around your heart. Amen? We're talking about miracles and the struggle that we have with doubt. I know this, God is a miracle working God. The second thing we need to do is keep the right friends. Number one, keep the right focus. Number two, keep the right friends. They're more important than what we think. <laughs> I'm talking about a close circle of friends. I think we don't put enough time to vet them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right, it's not the word. I was like, okay, let me fill out this background check. Okay. <laughs> keep the right friends. Matthew 8, 18. Here's what I mean by that. When Jesus saw the crowd, this is the same story. This is in three gospels. We're looking at Mark, this is Matthew now, same story. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Let's go, boys. Then a teacher of the law, a teacher of the law, a scribe, who, a historian who knew the law, kept the law, came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That was the best preaching I'd ever heard. You're saying things I've never heard before. You're healing people. You obviously are the son of God. I'm going with you no matter what, wherever you go. And Jesus responds this way. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of God has no place to lay his head. What Jesus was saying, I hear you, but I think you're kind of moved emotionally because you know what? This is a lot harder than you think. You really need to be committed, and I don't think you've counted the cost yet. We're not just here to play church. We're not just here to be churchy people. I've been in church my whole life. You can be in church your whole life and never experience the power of God because you don't really know how much he loves you. Listen, and if I'm in a boat going the other side and I need a miracle in my life, I don't need churchy people around me. I need people to know that God loves them and loves me. Surround yourself. Some of you need a life and death miracle. 
you better be surrounded by people that knows what it is to be committed to God at all costs, knows what it means to stand, knows what it means to, 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 to know that he loves you no matter what, no matter what. Some of us need to look at who we got in our boat. Maybe they need to walk the plank. I mean, that's, I mean we're talking mirac- miracles, right? So we, we need to keep that in mind. He goes on to say this. Another person comes up in the next scripture. Another disciple follower said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Another translation. Uh, well, now let me get Jesus' response. Here's what he says. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Another translation says, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritual dead. Basically what he was saying is, you don't have your priorities right. I'm gonna follow you when it's convenient. Hold on, I, need, I got a couple things I'm gonna do. I'm gonna come. No, I can't be there this weekend. I got some other things that are more important. I'll let you know, Jesus, when it works out for me. Oh, you meant right now? Oh no, I got some things I gotta take care of first. But I'll catch up with you. You go on, I'll catch up with you. He's got his priorities wrong. You don't need people in your boat when you're believing for a miracle that have the wrong priorities, that other things are more important in life. You don't need people in your boat that don't have Jesus as the priority in their life. Come on, when your life is on the line, you gotta have people that knows that Jesus is the number one priority no matter what. He's number one priority in my marriage. He's the number one priority in parenting my kids. He's the number one priority in my physical health and well-being. He's the number one priority in my finances. He's number one. He's the priority. Everything else. Hey, listen, if he's not on the top of your list, he's not on your list. He doesn't play second fiddle to anybody. Can I just say that? He's on the top. And you need people in your boat when you're believing for a miracle that number one, are committed to the cause of Christ and know what it means. And number two, they have the right priorities, not at their convenience. Because here's part of what I believe. I believe when the storms come and they will come, who's in your boat is very important. It says the disciples got up and woke up Jesus. I think sometimes in our boat, one of the greatest things that can happen is the people in our boat can help wake up Jesus. Maybe they wake up Jesus within us. Because Jesus had been laying asleep inside of you and I for too long. We've been coasting, we've been at cruise control. We forgot what it's like to follow him, to put him as a priority. Maybe they wake up a greater power and authority and faith in our life by pointing us back to Jesus and reminding us, I don't need people on my boat to be experts on marriage. I don't need people on my boat to be experts on health. I don't need people on my boat to be experts on raising kids. I don't need to be experts on, on finances. But here's what happens is we get in a financial situation and we got people in our boat and we're saying, you know what, this is a financial crunch. I don't know how we're gonna make it ends meet. And, he's, and they say this, you know what, why don't you quit tithing for a little bit and hold on to that. Jesus will understand, he's okay with that. I don't need people on my boat when I'm having fights with my wife and, and I just go, man, she's this, she's on me about this. I don't need to say, I can't believe you're still with that nag. <laughs> I don't need, you don't need someone in the boat saying, I can't believe you're still with that bum. Yes. Those kids, kick them out of the house. Let them see what the real world's like. Let them out on their own, kick them out of there, get rid of them. I don't know why you're sick, but maybe God wanted to teach you something. I don't need that in my boat. I don't need that in my boat. I'm believing for a miracle. But I don't need experts on everything in my boat. I just need people to be experts on Jesus cares about me. Jesus cares about me. I don't know, Don. I don't know about that diagnosis you just got and stuff like that. I don't know, but I know Jesus bore stripes on his back because he loved you. I don't know about how you're gonna make it in your marriage. I don't know, people, we thought it would be over long before now. I don't know how it's gonna work, but I know the Bible says he who finds a good wife finds a good thing, and God loves your marriage and wants to use it for good. I don't know about your kids, and I don't know how you've put up with them that long and how you haven't gotten rid of them or sold them off or whatever, I don't know. But God says that they are a, a, a gift of God. God loves us so much. 
I don't know about your finances. I don't know how you're going to get out of that hole. I don't know. I wish I had some money to help you. But I know that if you tithe and be consistent, the Bible says that he opens the windows of heaven and pours forth a blessing you cannot contain. I don't know. Here's what I believe. I believe God shows his power, not because he wants everybody to know he's powerful, but because he wants everybody to know that he loves them. So we got to settle that in us. Gotta settle that in us. I've gone over, thank you for being patient. Give me just a, a few more moments to kind of tile this up. Uh, several years ago, my stepdad, uh, he had a boat in um, the Caribbean, British Virgin Islands. He had it for a while. He loves, he loves sailing. So it's a four bed and four bath catamaran. It has two big, huge diesel engines on it. And so one day he so graciously and generously flew my sister, her husband, my brother, his wife, Jessamy and I down there with them for a week sailing around. It was wonderful, as you can imagine. But for me, it was like these two big, huge diesel engines on this boat. Can I drive? Can I drive? Can I drive? Can I drive now? Is it my turn? Is it my turn now? Is it my turn? Can I drive? I would just sit up there when everybody was asleep. And then as soon as he'd wake up in the morning, I'd be sitting there. Are we going somewhere? Can I drive? Can I drive? Because I loved it. I love those engines. I love going everywhere. It could turn on a dime. It was fantastic. But then one day, he said, you know what, Don? He goes, let's put the sails up. I'm like, why? We got the engines here. Why do we do that? And boy, did I really didn't know what I was saying no to until I started had to crank those sails up forever and then just about passed out and couldn't move my arms any longer. And so we're sailing and he's got the sail up and the wind is blowing through the sail and it's full sail. We're just cruising over the top of the waves and he says, you want to try now? And I said, sure, how hard can it be? It took me about 10 seconds to get that thing dead in the water. I mean, just dead, not moving any longer because apparently you're supposed to follow the wind or something like that, right? Who knew? So I can't just do the engines. We can go anywhere. Right <laughs> then, all of a sudden, I don't turn right, and the wind dies, and the sail goes empty, and we just stop dead in the water. And I'm like, okay, all right, I get you. There's more to this than what I expected. Let's crank the engines back up then, and let's get this thing going again. He's like, no, we're going to sit here until you figure out how to catch the wind again. Probably at least 30 minutes later. Are you serious? <laughs> and it finally kind of started to figure it out a little bit, and I could maneuver the boat a little to catch the wind, and start pushing the boat. Here's what, I, here's what I realize, and here's what I want you to know this morning. In waiting for our miracles and believing God for miracles, positioning ourselves, when the wind and when the enemy brings the wind and the waves against your boat, when the wind blows and the waves beat against your boat, don't immediately go into panic or in fear because if you know who you are in Christ and how much he loves you and your name is written in heaven, if you'll take a moment and combat that fear properly, you can turn that same storm that the enemy meant for your destruction to what will power you to your destination. Amen? Amen. That same storm. You know why? Because to move your boat, you need full sails. And if we can figure out how to not to fall into fear and let doubt come in our heart and place ourselves in self-imposed captivity, if we can learn how to deal with fear properly through the right focus and through the right people around about us, then we can turn that wind and that storm that the enemy meant for our harm into God's good for our life and the lives of other people around about us. You know, I was thinking about in that story where it said there were other little boats. I don't know what happened to those boats. You don't hear them anymore. I don't think they went down. I think they probably went and turned back to shore. I think they didn't understand and as soon as the first sign of a storm, as any sailor probably would, they went back to shore. But here's what I do know. The boat that made it, and I'll say this, and I know we'll say it, yeah, because Jesus was in the boat, yeah, I mean, okay, okay. It was the boat that eventually, in the middle of the storm, awoken 
to a greater love, Jesus, a greater power, Jesus, a greater authority, Jesus. So yes, he's in the boat, but he needs to be awake. He's probably been sleeping way too long in some of us, and it's time to wake him up and move our boat forward to the other shore and believe for bigger miracles than we've ever seen or expected. Because I know this, the best is yet to come. Amen? God's a good and faithful God. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.